Well, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Hey, we're so glad you tuned in today. We want to exalt Christ and we want to continue to give him glory. And, uh, and as our tagline goes, we want to bring his lordship to life right where we live every single day, recognizing that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning and he's large and in charge and we can trust him with every little detail of our lives. And, and you know, this, uh, we're excited to announce to you that probably for the next several podcasts, we're going to be giving you excerpts from a wonderful interview that we did on Sunday night with David Rubin, who is just an amazing friend that we were able to meet. Uh, actually, when I was on my last trip over to Israel, I would say last trip, my only trip, I hope, I hope to go back more. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, but David Rubin was the former mayor of Shiloh uh, in the biblical heartland of Israel, uh, where Judea and Samaria are located, what's now called the West Bank and uh, by at least by media folks. And David was here to share with us a powerful ministry that he, you know, that he started that really emerged out of a crisis in his life. And yeah. we'll get into that in just a moment. But I'm just amazed at the goodness of God. I love to hear the stories of how God intervenes and how God uses, you know, just the, the darkest moments of our lives uh, and can turn them into something good. And, yeah. and that's really what David's story is all about but hey if you're watching this now we've got something amazing happening this weekend because this airs on thursday morning yeah and, and uh lots of activity going on in the building right now <laughs> yeah. it's kind of d-day for us <laughs> the church uh band of brothers uh north the north conference is happening uh starting tonight yes tonight so and so lots of uh lots of honeybee activity going on uh preparations are being made yeah. and uh and if you're watching this just be in prayer with us because we know there are many men who uh, who desperately need uh, an encounter from God and need to be touched and need to be healed. And so um, you just be praying. We're expecting over 300 men here tonight. And if you're watching this uh, and you still would love to come, we, you know, there's always room at the end. So, uh, so come on out uh, tonight. We start at 7 o'clock. It's going to be an amazing uh, gathering of yeah. men. So, so back to David. Uh, we're going to uh, introduce you now to uh, a testimony uh, that I asked David to share uh, about uh, a terrorist attack that happened in his life. And, yeah. you know, we, we're dealing with our own stresses in America right now. We've talked about that. Right. But I can't imagine what it's like living every single day under the threat uh, of just your own life, the safety right. of your life. Like, you could be assassinated. Uh, there could be a bomb go off. You could have missiles launched into, you know, your home. Right. That's your kids' schools. Yeah, kids' yeah. school. Yeah. Uh, so every day you just... You just live under this uh, ominous kind of existential threat, you know, that's out there, and you're just not sure when evil is going to raise its ugly head, and uh, and that's that's the environment that that uh, most of our Israeli friends, you know, live under uh, every single day of their lives. And so, as you as you watch this uh, uh, this testimony, this is going to be the first part, like I said, of multiple podcasts where we really want to highlight David's message and his ministry. Uh, to you. Um, but this is the story of the assassination attempt, uh, the terrorist attack that took place upon David and upon uh, his three-year-old son at the time. Uh, and as you watch this, I hope you're encouraged uh, by the goodness of God over David's life, but over your life as well. So enjoy this testimony, and, and Andrew and I will be uh, wrapping it up at the end uh, with some important information. Well, I shared with some of you, I can't remember which service it was at, but, but probably a couple years ago, I had the pleasure of traveling to Israel with a group called Christians United for Israel. It was a group of pastors, 
And, uh, and one of the highlights of our trip was being introduced to David and his precious family. Uh, we enjoyed a, a Sabbath meal together. And I told my lovely wife, I came home, and that was the highlight of my trip because I was so moved by just seeing uh, a godly husband singing over his wife, blessing over, over his kids. That happens in Jewish culture, you know, every, every Sabbath. And I came home and I said, what would happen in American culture if we as Christians spent more time, guys, singing over our wives, blessing? Wouldn't that be great? Honey, let me sing to you. It was a beautiful blessing. And then what really rocked me was watching David lay hands on his, his children and speak a blessing over his children. And then I realized this is a regular occurrence every single week as you celebrate the Sabbath. What would happen if we as men of God in America were just more intentional about ministering to our kids in that way? So I'm just glad that you're here. What a treat. We've been trying to do this now for a couple of years. COVID has kept it, kept it from happening. But welcome to Crown Point Livingstone's Church in good old Indiana. You have not been to Indiana. Thank you. So if you saw on the video, one of the things David shared with us that night was just a powerful, powerful testimony of... Um, of a moment in your life when the enemy really tried to snuff out your life and the life of your son. So maybe that's a good place to start, but I'll just, I'm gonna hand you the mic and let you run a little bit and share your story with us. Okay. Well, what, what you are speaking about is something that happened uh, when I, I, I was in Israel for, I had been in Israel already for nine years. And this was probably the most difficult year that Israel had ever experienced in terms of terrorism, in terms of the, the attacks. And Israel was literally under assault every single day. And there was not one day, not a one, when people were not concerned about the terrorism. We're not concerned that maybe that day a wife or a husband, father, mother, children, that they would not come home that day. Literally, that was the situation. Well, one day I was, uh, in fact, I, my wife and I had a discussion when we decided that the two of us would not travel anywhere together because we didn't want to make our children total orphans. And th this was a situation, it was real. It was real, it was intense. And so, so what happened? Well, the day came, the day came when uh, I, I had a toothache and I told my wife, I have to travel to Jerusalem to the dentist. Okay, and we're about a one hour drive from that dentist. But I said, I have to go. It was the last day of Hanukkah. Okay, Hanukkah is the, 
is a, a holiday, it's known as a holiday of miracles. So I, I you know, on Hanukkah the children are home for a few days, and at that point they were very young, we had six children at home, and she said, well, you have to take, uh, take a couple of, of the kids with you. <laughs> kids, kids love to go to the dentist with dad. I know that's it. <laughs> she said, you'll make a day of it. <laughs> yeah. once It'll a, be fun. <laughs> once a dentist takes care of the problem. Well, there were, there were three young children at home at that time. So I... Uh, I asked my seven-year-old, my seven-year-old daughter, would you like to come to Jerusalem with me? She said, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to stay home, stay home with, our, with my friends. I, I'm, I'm going to be playing with my friends. I asked my five-year-old daughter, would you like to come to Jerusalem with me? And she said, well, are there Arabs there? And we had already experienced a lot of terrorism among people in our community. There were, there were people, many people who had already been wounded or killed. And I said, yeah, well, there, there are some Arabs there, but it's nothing that you need to be concerned about. She said, if there are Arabs there, I'm not coming. Five years old. I said, well, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take our three-year-old son. And he wasn't going to voice any objections. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife kind of looked at me like, <laughs> she said, okay, at least that. <laughs> well, uh, the two of us get in the car, we, we drive to Jerusalem. And, and we, we go to, uh, to the dentist. The dentist examines me and he says, he says, David, I don't see anything wrong with you. I don't see any, I don't see any problem. I said, yeah, but I, 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 I had this pain an hour ago. I, I don't really feel it now, but I, I did have this pain. He said, what can I tell you? I don't see anything wrong. So I, I, I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and I'll come back another time when, when the pain comes back. All right. So I, I said, okay, I told my son, all right, let's, let's go out for, for a late lunch. It was already lunch, getting in the direction of dinner, and and we so we went out. Went out to a there was a nice uh, American burger joint uh, there, and and we went out, had some bur some burgers, you know, those those thick burgers that everyone likes, and and some fries, and and we we had a good time, uh, you know, daddy and son. And had had a little bit of conversation, the whatever conversation he was able to have at that point, at three years old. 
<laughs> and it, it was good. It was all good. Then after, after we finished, uh, we both needed haircuts, so we went and got some haircuts. Got a couple of haircuts there. It was already at that point, by the time we were finished with that, it was already 6 p.m. and it was getting dark. And, uh, you know, he, he had to go to sleep, so we said, okay. Um, I said, okay, let's get, get into the car. I buckle him up in the toddler seat. We start our journey home. We were driving home on the dark country road called the Road of the Patriarchs, because that was the one north-south road in the time of the Patriarchs. They, that's how they would drive home, well, at least ride their uh, donkeys home uh, in, the, in the time of the Patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they uh, were halfway home. Halfway home, and all of a sudden there was a massive hail of bullets on the car. The car went completely dead when the bullets hit, and I, I, I soon realized that terrorists were firing on the car. I saw four orange sparks in front of my eyes. I realized that it was not rocks being thrown at the car because we had experienced rock throwing from uh, the Palestinian terrorists many times. This time it was bullets, it was clear. The, the tracer uh, bullets whizzed past my eyes and I, I could see it very clearly. I felt one smash into my left leg and uh, blood started pouring out of my leg all over the place. I quickly tried to start the car again because the car had gone dead on me after the bullets hit and the car wasn't starting, it was dead. Uh, the, it, I couldn't get it to start. I shifted gears, park, drive, neutral, trying each time, turning the ignition, the car wasn't starting. Then I remembered I had my three-year-old son sitting behind me. I quickly turned around to him in panic. I said, I asked him, are you okay? His eyes were staring straight ahead, wide open. His mouth was wide open. He looked like he was trying to scream or to cry, but no sounds were coming out. I figured he was just in shock. I didn't see any blood on him. I quickly tried again, turning the ignition, turning the ignition, shifting gears, doing whatever I could to get the car to start. It wasn't starting. I figured that we were left for dead because the terrorists were still shooting at the car. Then all of a sudden, the car started. It started like it had never had a problem starting before. I hit the gas. I drove as fast as I could. I was going 170 kilometers an hour. That's about 110 miles an hour. And I, I drove as fast as I could to get to the next community up the road, which is called Ofra, where I was hoping I could get an ambulance. Because usually I had it in my head that there is an ambulance always stationed at the entrance to that community. And there was a need for that because of all the terrorist attacks that we'd been experiencing. Well, I, I, the whole time I'm driving, the car is shaking, probably from, from the speed I was going, and, and my whole body was shaking, probably from the loss of blood. 
I finally get to Ofra. Oh, and the whole time I'm I'm hitting my my finger on the on the the CB radio, if you know what that is. Um, we used to have those before we had cell phones in in our area, and uh, they didn't seem to hear me. And I'm sh I'm shouting on the, I'm trying to get their attention. Nobody was responding. Then I, I, I pull up to the gate at Ofra, and for those of you who don't know, in Samaria, every community has a metal gate at the entrance to the community to keep out car bombers. I shout, ambulance, please get an ambulance. The, the guard at the gate didn't seem to hear me, but there was a young woman, fortunately, on the side of the road. She started jumping up and down, screaming, ambulance, ambulance, don't you hear? At that point, everyone who was within sounds reach came running up to the car. The gas station attendant from across the street ran up to the car. He ripped off my shirt. He wrapped it around my leg. He said, don't worry, I'm also a paramedic. I know what I'm doing. And he got to work trying to stop the blood flow, and he... He handed me a cell phone, and I didn't have a cell phone with me. He handed me the cell phone. He said, he said, I, here, here, call your wife. And I, I tried to dial the phone. My hand was shaking too much. Uh, he, he said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. He dials it for me. And I told my wife, I've been shot in the leg. Hopefully soon an ambulance will be coming to take me to the hospital. And, and the paramedic is, is treating me, and our son is okay. Well, at that, probably it was about 30 seconds later, the ambulance that had left the community zoomed up, uh, pulls up uh, near, near us. I later found out why wasn't the ambulance there, because he had gone he had been called out to another terror attack that had happened almost at, at the exact same time. Uh, but then he was called back to us uh, because, uh, you know, we were right at the entrance of the community. So uh, the ambulance pulls up, the two paramedics in the ambulance jump out, one of them comes to the car and pulls out my son from the baby seat. I, I said, no, no, please leave him alone. He's just in shock. He just needs to be with his Abba. He just needs to be with his dad. He said, no, sir, I have to take him out. He pulls him out and cradles him in his arms. And then I, and he starts running away from the car and I hear him shouting to the ambulance. He's also been shot. He's been shot in the head. A bullet had gone into his head, we later found out, where the skull meets with the neck, causing a skull fracture in his skull and, uh, and uh, internal bleeding in the cerebellum. And he was bleeding pretty intensely at that moment, and they, they put bandages around his head, an oxygen mask on his face, and whisked both of us into the ambulance on stretchers taking us to the hospital in Jerusalem. All the way on the other side of Jerusalem, where they got to work on us. The whole time as I'm laying on the stretcher in the ambulance, all that I could think of was, I am so helpless. 
Because a father whose three-year-old son is in serious trouble, you know, you, what's the natural instinct? You want to help him. And I was helpless. I was laying there. I couldn't do a thing. Couldn't do a thing to help him. We finally get to the hospital. We're in the emergency room. The doctors get to work on us. I'm in the emergency room. They had taken him to a different emergency room, so I couldn't even be there to comfort him. And, but that, he needed to be in the, in the children's emergency room. So they get to work on, on both of us, and uh, after about 20 minutes, the head surgeon comes up to me and he says, David, we're, we're going to have to operate on both of you within about a half an hour. And I, I just want you to know that we'll, you know, we'll do the best we can. We'll, we'll do the best we can for your son as well. Um, and I think he's going to be okay, but we're going to have to uh, do what we need to do. And there's someone else here who wants to speak to you. Well, I, I did notice there was someone standing next to him who I'd never seen before. He says, I'm the public relations director for this hospital. I just want you to know that you are the 1,000th victim of terrorism to be hospitalized in this hospital in the past year and a half. Well, I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to do with that dubious honor he's given me. <laughs> I thought maybe I was supposed to get a prize. You know. He said, I'm just telling you this because the media is masked outside this emergency room. They want to come in and interview the 1,000 victim of terrorism and photograph you and your son. And as public, direct, uh, public relations director, I'm telling you, I will keep them away. I'll protect your privacy. I thought for a moment... And I thought of all the terror victims that we already knew, and I, I, I thought of a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who had been killed in a terror attack just, just a few months prior. His body had been found in a cave near Shechem, near, near, the, near the tomb of Joseph. And I, I thought about it, and I, I said, you know what? You bring them in here. I have what to say to, to them. All the frustration of the, that past year built up in me, and, I, and I, I, I felt like I had to tell a story. I brought them in, they, or they came in, and I've been telling the story ever since. I tell this story not because of our personal trauma, even though we've, we've had a lot of that in my family, but I tell this story not because of any political opinions that I have that I wanted to deliver, even though I have those two. I tell the story because it's a story of miracles. I, I, I was shot in the left leg those terrorists were on the side of the road with AK-47 assault rifles shooting at the car. I thought they were on the left because it was a pitch black night and there were no lights on the road. But they were shooting from the right side. 
And I know that, I discovered that very quickly because the wound in my leg was much bigger on the left side and it's always much bigger on the left side when they're shooting from the right side. And these were bullets from AK-47 assault rifles. They go in and they, they, they move around, they do their damage. And they come out in a much bigger way. Anyhow, I, I, they were shooting from the right side and the bullet that went into my leg and through my leg missed my right leg, enabling me to drive my automatic car to get to that ambulance. Number two, the bullet that went into my son's head and through his neck missed his brainstem by one millimeter. Well, those are just two of the, of the many miracles, but those are examples of the two, the kinds of miracles that it takes a spiritually trained eye to see. Your average atheist will look at that and arrogantly tell you, well, your, your left leg must have been up in the air, that's why the bullet missed. Or, uh, sure, well, your son was probably leaning forward and that's why the bullet missed his brainstem. And then you can argue with that atheist back and forth and nobody will convince the other probably. Well, in Judaism, we have two kinds of miracles. We describe two kinds of miracles. There, there are the hidden miracles and there are the revealed miracles. The revealed miracles are like that miracle on Mount Sinai when all of the people of Israel were looking at the top of the mountain where Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights with the Almighty. That's a revealed miracle. It wasn't like the, the top of the mountain caught fire accidentally. And then, of course, the splitting of the Red Sea. Those are revealed miracles that can't be denied by anyone. Well, I have news for you. There are revealed miracles in our times as well in the land of Israel today. And God is performing miracles that we have seen in so many of these terrorist attacks. And, well, on my fifth day in the hospital, I get a call from the car mechanic. A nice fella named Erez from Jerusalem. I just saw him a couple of weeks ago. And Erez says to me, David, I just want you to know we have the car. We've started ordering parts. There are 49 bullet holes in that car. It's going to be very difficult to fix, but we will do our best, so don't worry. I said, don't worry, are you serious? I'm laying here in my bed on my back. My leg is attached to some device that's supposed to be prepared for the next operation, which was plastic surgery that was soon to come. 
My son was sleeping in the intensive care unit. He was sleeping 22 out of 24 hours of the day. And when he was awake, they would wheel me to him once a day in my wheelchair to, so I could visit him. And he couldn't lift himself up in his bed. He had almost total memory loss. He didn't remember his sisters who came to the hospital to visit him. He didn't remember the picture. His, his friends, uh, his three-year-old friends made pictures with their names on it and sent it to him in the hospital. He didn't remember his friends. I, I read the names. I said, you're asking me about the car? I, I don't care about the car anymore. The car's not important. He said, David, I'm just calling you because I have to ask you a question. Then there was silence on the other end of the phone for a few seconds. And then I heard, heard a faint voice who almost didn't, almost didn't sound like him asking me, why can't we start that car? Now, a chill went down my back when he said those words because I know that I could not start that car when the bullets hit and, uh, and it went dead. And I, and I know that I tried over and over, shifting gears to get that car to start. I, I eventually, the car started. And it started as if it had never had a problem starting before. And I drove that car 170 kilometers an hour, 110 miles an hour to get to that ambulance. And, and when I finally got there, they got to work on us, and the, the car went dead again. It had to be towed from there to the police station in Bethel, about 20 minutes away. And, and then the police couldn't get it to start, and they had to tow it to get it to the police um, precinct, excuse me, to the car garage in Jerusalem. And now the car mechanic is telling me he doesn't know why they can't start that car. Now, I have to tell you, I have a personal confession to make, and I'm not even Catholic. <laughs> I've been a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I had already been a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at that point for about 15 years. But... The truth is, up until that very moment, I still had some of that old New York City skepticism, shall we call it, about personal miracle stories. But I'm not a skeptic any longer because we were just lifted up on God's wings Come to on. get us to that ambulance. Powerful, powerful testimony. I remember hearing that as a father, you know, I'm oh, yeah. glued to the edge of my seat, yeah. wondering, just thinking what I would do. In, well, you have, in a, young, you have a young I have a three-year-old right now, yeah. and I could totally position myself in that place. And just looking back, I seen the shock on his face. I mean, it broke my heart thinking that yeah. these are the kids who are going through this. And he talked about the PTSD for the kids who are going through uh, this type of trauma on an ongoing basis. And he said, you know, every person literally in Israel today know somebody who is a victim of terror. Sometimes it's in their own family, yeah. uh, but they all know somebody personally 
you know, we talked about Israel being the size of New Jersey, basically. It's not a very big, big plot of land. And, uh, and that because of the violent history against them, uh, everybody's been affected by this violence. But like you said, when you personalize it and you're like, wow, I have a three-year-old son or I have a small child, uh, your heart just bleeds. Um, but I love what he said, you know, how, how God used that situation to turn a, a crusty Brooklyn Jew, somewhat cynical, jaded, you know, like he believes in the Moses kind of miracles of the, of the old covenant, right? Um, but he said, you know, I really still had that little bit of doubt in my heart. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, that does God, does God really do miracles for like us, for people personally? Right. And, uh, and I love that he came around to see the goodness of God. You know, we talk about one millimeter from the brainstem. When you talk about this car that's, that would not start, all that he did to get that car to start, and then he cries out to God, boom, the car starts. Almost like supernaturally the car starts. And then... The, Goes a hundred, over 100 miles an hour. Yes. To get I to don't the, know my car can go 100 miles an hour <laughs> right now. That would be a miracle. <laughs> and how the bullet yeah. did not... Oh, it came from the right-hand right. side, but it, it missed his, his, leg. his yeah. driving leg. Yeah. And I hit his left leg. I mean, all, all these things. And then I, I love that confirmation at the end where here this poor mechanic's trying to restore his car, yeah. you know, to normal. And he gets everything cosmetically repaired, but he can't get the car to start. Yeah. And it was just a reminder to David, wow, you know, God, that was a miracle. God got us out of that difficult situation. Of course, he's healed and restored now. But I just want to encourage you, you know, he is the God... Uh, of every little detail of our lives. He's not lost any of his power. He's still a, mar a miracle-working God. Uh, he's not just a global God. He's also a personal God. His, your times and your life are in his hands. Yeah. He loves you. He cares about you. And you know what? He's watching over you. The key thing is to submit your life to the Lord and to trust him and to honor him and let him manage you know, every little detail of your life. So we hope you've been encouraged by this. We've got a lot more that we're going to be sharing in uh, the weeks ahead. Um, but pray for Israel. We know that scriptures command us that there's a blessing as we intercede. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem uh, and the promise of God in Genesis 12 to the great patriarch Abraham was, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So we want to be blessers of Israel and of the people, uh, God's chosen people. And we pray that you will do that today and the rest of the days of your life. Let's be a friend of these amazing people. Uh, and I believe the consequence of that is we'll see the blessing of God overtake us. All right. Have a great day. Spread this uh, podcast far and wide. And we hope you'll join us again next Thursday when we release episode two of this amazing interview with David Rubin.